Well, it's Tuesday, which means that Mona and I are back. How are you doing, Mona? It's been like a whole 24 hours since we spoke. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that, that was fun yesterday doing the show with Joe Perticone and you. Uh, enjoyed it a lot. Uh, so I'm fine. You? I have some some unpopular opinions or some contrarian opinions just just for the moment. Okay. And and feel free to disagree with them because I'm I'm just kind of I'm kind of working it, it it through here. You know, look, I understand that we we have this news cycle, this twenty four seven news cycle, and I understand that everybody has to have a hot take on it. But uh, number one, I'm not sure the debate is going to make any difference whatsoever. I mean, we're all going to be talking about it and like people will be saying all eyes will be on the debate, but they won't. They won't. That's number one. And number two, um, obviously, we're going to be doing deep breathing about Iowa for the next six months. Could I remind people that in 2008, Mike Huckabee won the Iowa caucus. In 2012, it was Rick Santorum. In 2016, it was Ted Cruz. And we know how that went. So, I mean, mm. that's this whole notion that... I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Yeah, yeah, okay, go go for it. Okay. In a normal year, um, it's true that Iowa was way overhyped and didn't prove to be very important. It was usually the religious conservative candidate who came away with the prize and mm -hmm. then promptly lost in New Hampshire because, as our friend Mike Murphy likes to say, the state motto of New Hampshire is not live free or die, it's F. Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which they do on a quadrennial basis. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's not a normal year. It This is the only... So based on polling, which again, you know, it's just a snapshot, blah, blah. But based on polling, Iowa is the only opportunity this year to demonstrate whether there's any chance for anybody other than Trump. He is polling worse in Iowa than he is nationally. And, and then you get the bandwagon effect. So if somebody is able to score really well or even come in a really strong second to Trump in Iowa, it will change the conversation. So that, I think, is why it's not wrong to stress. And, and if Trump wins Iowa, by contrast, it's over. It's completely over. I think that's true. And, and, and you're right, of course, if, if somebody comes in strong second or beats Donald Trump, uh, as Ted Cruz did mm -hmm. in 2016, he does change the conversation for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really, Christian Vanderbrook has a great piece in the bulwark today, um, basically sort of gaming out what is the end game. Mm -hmm. and, and this is something that's been in the back of my mind is like, okay, okay, how does it play out? How does Trump actually lose? So let's imagine that Ron DeSantis wildly overperforms, right? You know, that he does great, not just in Iowa, but in New, in New Hampshire, right? I mean, he is, Christian writes, figuratively kicking ass and slitting throats. So just imagine that. So we're in March and springtime for DeSantis, you know, Donald Trump's flailing, you know, Maggie is breaking apart. And it certainly looks like DeSantis is on the roll uh, to win the nomination. All that's left is for Donald Trump to concede that he was beaten fair and square. The rival campaigns make arrangements for Trump to deliver an historic nominating speech in prime time. And he asks his committed supporters to accept the will of Republican voters and unite the party behind Ron DeSantis. And he writes, did I lose you somewhere in that last paragraph? <laughs> Well, well, wait a second. Wait a second. I mean, that's very funny. Um, but honestly, no candidate concedes in March. No, no, I understand. But Donald Trump will never concede any time. Well, that is true. I guess true. the point is, what is the scenario? The something, something, something unicorn, and then Donald Trump loses, concedes what? Uh, well, of course, he, he will never concede. And I think the chances of any outcome other than a Donald Trump 
nomination are very, very, very slim. But I do think that the the opportunity, if there is one, is only in Iowa. That's it. Well, that's true. I mean, you have, you have to start somewhere. So let's talk about this uh, debate. I'm interested. Uh, to Are you going to go, by the way? Last no, no, I'm, 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 oh. I'm not, I'm not going to go because actually, okay. see, the, the thing about debates is that it actually is helpful, I think, to see it the way that normal people see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you actually get the adv- any advantage by watching it in, in person. I mean, because because sometimes people in the room will come out and they'll have a completely different impression than the tens of millions of people or, you know, eights of people who are who are actually sitting in their <laughs> living room and, and watching the streaming of all this. So I'm going to be interested to see, you know, how, you know, how they perform almost the theater of it. Uh, Chris Christie, of course, is going to be the marquee performer, I think. Uh, all of these expectations of, on Ron DeSantis, which he will disappoint, I can pretty much call that. I think it was Joe yesterday on the podcast who made the point that he's expecting everybody to go after, or a lot of the folks to go after Vivek. And I have to say that, you know, look, I have not even commented or written about him because I just don't take him seriously. But it, isn't it kind of a marker of the time that somebody who is as just, I mean, such a wingnut fraud as Vivek Ramaswamy is the hot new thing right now? I mean, just, let's just set Donald Trump aside, but for how the crazification of the Republican Party. Now, I know that early on you've had crazy candidates. There was a moment for Michelle Bachman. There was a moment for uh, Herman Cain. I mean, this does happen traditionally. But Vivek Ravaswamy, every time he opens his mouth. Herman Cain was James Madison compared to Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> but Vivek is entertaining. And so yes. the new the new standard is not whether or not you have any substance. He just throws this stuff out, makes him sound like a smart guy. People who don't really understand how business works think that he's a genius, just like they did with Donald Trump. But he's out there with the 9-11 trutherism. He's just throwing stuff up against the wall. It's almost a daily basis. His comments about Vladimir Putin and, and Ukraine, I mean, you know, just go on and on and on. The fact that he's a thing is really kind of a commentary. And he will make a very easy target for the other candidates, very easy to swat him down. If Nikki Haley, you know, finally wants to figure out, you know, who to kick with her high heels, you know, he would be the one, right? Because you can rip him without really running any risk of of getting the MAGA base that mad at you because the MAGA base only cares about, you know, the orange precious, right? Yeah. Now it's my turn to sigh and say, yeah, well, suppose people do, you know, light into him, which of course they should, he deserves it and all that. But, you know, to what end? I mean, it is emblematic of our time that somebody, okay, so so the, the entertainment value, you know, we understand the fact that he's very slick and smooth. You know, somebody should point out how oily he is, you know. <laughs> I think that's coming. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there is this really frightening appetite out there for crazy. And you saw it with the RFK Jr. you know, appeal as well, which, you know, is mostly in the GOP, but some in the Democratic Party too, where, you know, people who spout these absolutely, you know, back guano views and who are just unbelievable, ferocious liars gain traction. People listen to these liars and they say, yep, there's the truth. I think that guy is brave enough to tell the truth when they're what they are is is shameless enough to tell the most 
dangerous and, and, and ridiculous lies. I'm watching him. Or I watched him this morning. Uh, the the CNN interview he gave with uh, Caitlin Collins, where it was just, I mean, one cringe after another. You know, uh, Heath Mayo from uh, Principles First had an interesting tweet. He said, uh, "With Trump absent, the winner of Wednesday's debate will be the candidate who most embarrasses Vivek Ramaswamy as an overeager and deluded child, ready to give Taiwan to China." and cave to Putin for attention points. Easy task. Hope someone is up for it. I'm, I'm guessing that a number of them will be up for it. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's sort of a sideshow, but everything feels like a sideshow right now. It really does. Yeah. Uh, Even if somebody has a great breakout performance. Oh, wait, before I get to the breakout performance, let me just ask you, there's so many pundits who've been saying that that leaked memo, the DeSantis leaked memo was a head fake. What do you think about that? The, uh, an effort to lower expectations? What do you think? No. Um, there's no, there's you know, no head okay. fake. I mean, some, some, it's Occam's razor. I mean, something looks really profoundly stupid. It probably is profoundly stupid. Yeah, yeah. If something really, really is dumb, then <laughs> it look, looks really dumb. You have a choice. Is it really dumb or is it four-dimensional chess? I'm going yeah. to say, no, it was really dumb. To listen to the rest of this episode of Just Between Us, become a Bulwark Plus member today. 